That's stunning. Wow. Thanks, everyone. My name's Donovan, and I'm eager to get into this, so let me ask for God's help. God, thank you for revealing yourself and in your word and in Jesus and by your spirit, and I just pray your promise here that you will show us your face, and, and you have, and we want more. So, yeah, God, send your spirit and help us to be attentive to your movement. Amen. Isaiah 54. Stunning. Um, you know, you may have heard people say, yeah, the Old Testament's bad news, right? That's when God was angry, and, and then the New Testament's when he chilled out. And it's like, just read Isaiah 54. I mean, there's a lot of it, right? But, man. So I'm going to try to uh, do this passage justice, and I want to talk about mission, because we're going to see here mission is in this passage when he talks about expanding our tent, right? This isn't just this. This is, and it goes to the whole world, right? God's glory. And he, he talks about his love. And so I want to try to connect those two things, how love propels mission, right? How does God's love propel mission and really fuel our joy? Right? Our mission is to fight for joy. Some of you, we, we all struggle with that to different degrees, Part of the reason we struggle with it, I think, is, is that we lack mission, right? So we're on mission to different degrees and not enough, right? We're not on mission enough, and we want to grow in that. Why? For our joy. I've referenced this before. Many of you have heard of the story of a man named Christopher McCandless who went into the wild, right? So there's a book and a story called Into the Wild, and it's the story of this young man. He's early 20s, and he wants to break free from the chains of society and culture and all the trappings of capitalism and all that, and he's going to go into the wild, and he goes out into uh, Alaska and just enjoys, right? Well, things go wrong. He gets injured and ends up dying, starving to death, basically all alone. And when he was discovered, part of what they found in his journal, one of his last entries was this, happiness is only real when shared. So there was some degree of joy and freedom going out there, but he had a revelation. He was alone. He's not made to be alone. He's made to share, and we're made to share our joy. So if Christ is our joy, when we share him, our joy increases, right? So that's why we preach the gospel. For his glory, our joy, the joy of others, right? We are seeking pleasure, and so I hope to, that we see this today, how God's love comes to us and propels us on mission, right? So, verse 50, or verse 1, chapter 54, comes out of the gates and says this, Sing, O barren one. Now, I want to rewind a little bit so we see where we're coming from. We just went through Isaiah 53, which is what? The description of the crucifixion of the Son of God on behalf of sinners. Isaiah 53 at the, uh, verse 12, at the very end, right before our passage, says this. He bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressor, transgressors, right? So he went to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And in him, when we believe, we are made holy. And he birthed the church, right? Back in verse 10 of chapter 53, it says this. He shall see his offspring. So he is birthing the church. Jesus births 
the church, right? Through his work on the cross, described in chapter 53. Now chapter 54, God turns to those offspring. That's you. And he tells you something. These are the words of your father. Some of you maybe struggle because your father didn't encourage you. Your father didn't tell you he loved you. Your father wasn't expressive with his affections. And you know what? Men, men can struggle with that. And it's true that there can be a sadness and a wounding here. But the way out of it is to hear your father's words. These, is, these are the words of your father to you. This is God. Not just the creator, yes. But as he says later, your redeemer, your husband even. Your lover. The one who knows you and cares. So as we read through Isaiah 54, these are God's words of blessing to you. Speaking life over you. So here, let's hear our father. And he says, sing. Oh, barren one. Now this idea of being barren, it means fruitless, right? Like a desert is barren. Or in, in, in procreation, right? Many women struggle to procreate. And that can be referred to as barrenness. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was referred to as barren. And that's not usually a reason to sing, right? It's a reason to mourn, to lament. We're barren. And he calls Israel a barren one. Why? Because she has not borne fruit. She has been fruitless. She has been barren. She has not glorified the Lord. She has, in fact, betrayed him, and she was sent into exile. But now he says, sing. Why? Because he has made intercession for you, transgressor. He has borne fruit. He is bearing the church, right? He is giving birth to offspring. And then these offspring, we all relate to one another. And we continue to bear fruit. So this part of what we're going to see here is that the church is family. This morning, my youngest daughter said to me, I was walking by, she goes, where's the rest of our family? And I said, here. And she's like, oh, you know, just can I ask a simple question? But it isn't just here. Where's the rest of your family? It's global. Upon millions, millions and billions. And so we have a reason to sing. We don't want to sing in barrenness, but God has entered that space, right, and brought life and fruit. God's people will be fruitful. So number one, or eight, wherever I am, God is after the barren. The, he's after the barren, the broken, the meek, the weak, those who are aware of their fruitlessness. Like, do you look at your, your ability and realize your powerlessness? Then God wants you. He's after the barren. Why? So he can show off. This goes all the way, this is all over the Bible. Again, I mentioned Abraham and Sarah. God calls Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, Right? And this is what we see come into fruition. Jesus' death on the cross births the church. The church bursts forth on mission. All the nations are invited in. He started with Abraham. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Why did he pick Abraham? Because his wife was barren. That's why he picked him. That's one of the reasons. Why? So he could show off. So that he could bring life from the dead. That's what Christianity is all about. It isn't about just, well, i got to get my you know, my family back to church so we can figure out how to raise these kids. Like, yeah, there's some of that, but you know what they need? Life from the dead. 
This is about life from the dead. This is what we're ultimately celebrating here, that the barren ones can rejoice and can sing because he has conquered it all. The light has shone in the darkness. The barren womb has given birth. The murdered God has birthed the church. This is about miracles. So rejoice. Why? Because the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. You're going to need a bigger house. Right? That's what he's saying. So you, when you get married, you, right, you start with a little condo or something, and then you add you know, one or two kids, and then you keep adding. You get the idea, right? Enlarge the place of your tent. Why? You're going to be, have a big family. A big family. Why would you have such a big family? I mean, we see these people running around church. Some of you all know who I'm talking about. You've got eight, nine kids. Like, why? <laughs> and I think at best it's because it's a blessing. Children are a blessing from the Lord, right? Like, there's trial and struggle that can come with it, but fruitfulness to have, to be. And what God is saying to you that no matter the size or history of your biological family, you are now in the family, the biggest family, right? Quiver full. Right? Enlarge the place of your tent. This struck me as scripture reader was reading this passage. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the, let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. It's stunning. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, right? Because it's going to get rambunctious. People are going to be celebrating and singing. Jesus says this to us. Peter, as he started following Jesus, he said this. See, we have left everything and followed you. Because he did, in a sense. He, Jesus said to him, come, follow me. And Peter dropped everything and followed him, right? And Jesus said to him this, Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. He just throws that in like, huh? <laughs> and then in the age, eternal life. So it's like this, you know, persecution sandwich with blessing bread. That's on the spot. Some are better than others. How so, you receive a hundredfold now. What does that mean? It means tu casa is mi casa. I'm coming over. Taking your stuff. This is because Jesus is a socialist. That's where we're actually going today. Just relax. No, but here's what he says. It's family. Like, literally, brothers and sisters in India are our family, and they will take you in. I've been there. I've seen that. The poorest of the poor and given us what they have, which is not much. Why? We're family. We're, we're united in Christ. Hundredfold now. Verse 3, you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will 
and will people the desolate cities. This is the explosion of the church all over the world. When God comes to Abraham and says, right, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. In your offspring will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That in Christ, right, he births that church and all who are united in him form this global movement of blessed children of God. Verse 4, fear not. You will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. So Israel has been cast out and exiled, but he's saying, now I'm bringing you in, right? And he's talking to all believers here. Here's who he's talking to. You likewise were brought from darkness to light. And God says this about our sin and our past. He will remember our sins no more. Now, what's shocking here is that he says in this verse, the reproach of your widowhood, your darkness, you will remember no more. Now, that, I think, is an ultimate promise to be fulfilled in the age to come. But we can grow in it now. Like, because part of our struggle for joy is that we remember our shame. God doesn't remember it. Like, think about that. Gosh, we wake up remembering it. Romans 2 says that we spend our, our thought life accusing and defending. That's a big part of what we do. Accuse and defend ourselves. I'm going to tell you something ugly about myself. I mean, literally, this is, this is how petty we are. I bought something the other day, and they said, would you like to round up for the children's hospital? And I said, sure. And I thought, I am a good person. <laughs> you never do that because you're better than me. It's literally like, why is that happening? Why is that even a concern? It's because I'm remembering the shame. There's, I'm still, I'm, I'm justified, I'm forgiven by Christ, I am one, I am, my joy is invincible, and my spirit is sealed with him, but I walk around in this body of flesh, believing lies. And God says, there's a time coming where you will remember that no more. What will we even talk about? Stunning. So why not fear? Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. And then he gives a description, right? Your maker is your husband. He has united you with him. Well, tell me more about him. Who is this husband? He is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth. It's bragging on who our husband is, right? He's got renown and power. We care about renown. I got in a car accident yesterday. We're all okay. Um, got rear-ended by a professional NFL player. Mm. It's interesting, right? It's more interesting. It was Tom Brady. We own him. We will get as big a building as we want. It wasn't Tom Brady. I won't name names. But here's the thing. That is interesting. Oh, Donovan got rear-ended, yeah, by an NFL player. I know people were telling me they were texting one another, <laughs> right? Would you say so, someone typoed and said Donovan got rear-handed by an NFL player? So they were like, bam! <laughs> like, but it was like badly rear-handed, right? There's like running start, just like, boo! 
boom. By an NFL player. But see, that matters. Why does that matter? Why is that part of the story? Because we care about renown. And God, and God is telling us here, like, you, it's okay to care about that. I put that in you, and you were made for your maker. Who is that? Your husband. Well, tell me more. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the God of the whole world. That's who's in your hands. That's who's in your corner. There's that song we sing, has this line, ponder anew. So that's something we should do often. Ponder, wonder, imagine anew. So again, back right, restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. We ponder anew what? What the Almighty could do. So he's Almighty, right? That's his description. Who is he? He's Almighty, the Lord of hosts, Holy One of Israel, God of the whole world. Ponder what he could do, his resources, his intellect, his power, his love, if with his love he befriend, befriend thee. And he has. He has befriended you. And so things are going to be different, right, from now on. The Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I did desert you. Israel needed refined. I had hid my face from you. But now, with everlasting joy, I will have compassion on you. I want to read to you from Ezekiel 16. So this is re referencing Israel's history when God first called her. But the common point, I think, is the affection. And I want you to hear how God talks about you. I passed by you, and I saw you wallowing in your blood. And I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you flourish. And you grew up. This is almost too much. You grew up and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed. And your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you. And I covered your nakedness. And I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Is that how you think of God? That's how he thinks of you. For a moment, he hid his face, but now he has turned toward us. What does that mean? He will show his face. And again, there's that time coming when we shall see face to face, when the perfect Jesus Christ comes and we shall see face to face, and we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. But he has shown his face. He has greeted us. He has come to us. And I do pray occasionally for God to come to you in visions. Because my words, our words, like, and he can move in many ways. But I, I also believe that I mean, you read this in the Bible and you read this in the, in, in the church, the stories where God's moving all over the world and Jesus Christ shows up and I want us to see his face. I mean, to see it. And to see his concern. When he, 
When he called Peter, think about this. When he, and this happened to all the disciples. Jesus batted a thousand calling the disciples. No one said no. So he go, says to Peter, come, follow me. And Peter immediately drops everything and goes, why is it? You could say it's because he's the logos. He's, the, he's God and what he says happens. He commands. Yes, okay, that's true. But I think it's because Peter saw his face. He saw God's face. And all that that entails, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but compassion, love, mirth, right? Joy that if it were to burst forth would set off, what did he say? I forget what I said last week, but joy. He saw Jesus' face. I find C.S. Lewis helpful. I quote him a lot. Um, there's this book called Paralandra, and because he helps me imagine. He helps bring me beyond, like, my limitations of my imagination. And so there's this book called Paralandra where he comes, he encounters angels. And so he's describing here angels, not God, but I think they're shadows of God. So he's describing these angels in his imagination, and I just want to take that and go, he's describing images of God. He's getting at something beyond us. So one of the beings, right, these pure beings, unspoiled by sin, messengers from God, reflecting him, says this. Oh, sorry, this is, this is when he first encounters them, right, and he falls, right, and then he looks up. It says this, when he at last raised his eyes from the four blessed feet, he found himself involuntarily speaking, though his voice was broken and his eyes dimmed. Do not move away. Don't go. Do not raise me up, he said. I have never before seen a man or a woman. I have lived all my life among shadows and broken images. Oh, my father, my mother, my lord, and my lady, do not move. Yet my own father and mother I have never seen. Remember when I said, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to look like? Look like him. Take me for your son. We have been alone in my world for a great time, barren. Oh. And he says this, pure, spiritual, intellectual love shot from their faces like barbed lightning. It was so unlike the love we experienced that its expression could easily be mistaken for ferocity. I know what that's like. Sometimes I'll be looking at my wife. She's like, you look like you want to kill me. And I'm like, if I'm not careful. Is that too much? I'm trying to make you blush. That's nothing. That's nothing. Just a little more description here. He's looking into the eyes of these beings. The curtained gateway, their eyes were a curtained gateway to a world of waves and murmurings and wandering airs of life that rocked in winds and splashed on mossy stones and descended as the dew and arose sunward in thin-spun delicacy of mist. <laughs> He's striving, right? Beyond us. This is the face. This is the face that loves us. 
and it's everlasting compassion. It's everlasting love. So Josh Gerald has a song called Floodwaters, so it's a different metaphor, right? We've been dealing with this idea of being barren. Well, here's too much water, right? It's too much. It's, we're inundated by sin and the chaos of the world and threats of death and everything. When he says, what sustains him? is God's love. Here's his description of God's love. Higher than the yonder mountain and deeper than the sea, from the breadth of the east unto the west is the love that started with a seed. That's Jesus. Stronger than the wildest horses and the rising tide, the cords of death hung so heavy round our necks. Those cords will be left at the great divide. Farther than the pale moon rises upon the open plains, past the time of the longest bloodline, there shines an immortal flame. Somewhere in between forever and this passing joy, there's a place where moth and rust cannot lay waste. This is grace, the face of love. You're striving, right? These artists are striving. And so if the chorus says, the floodwaters rise, yeah, they do, but they won't wash away. Why? Because love never dies. It will hold on more fierce than graves. What does this have to do with mission? We are loved and we are sent to love the world, right? Not to argue with the world, but to love the world. We love because God has first loved us. The nations await. This will happen. And your neighborhoods. We're sent to the nations, we're sent to your neighborhoods. And there are barren ones. Listen, you might run into a lot of people who are like, I don't care, I don't need this, and I'm good. It's like, all right, you're good, I'm looking for barren ones. They are people awaiting love. And you don't need to know a lot of things. You do need to be in love. Mission is PDA. That's what it is. It's a public display of affection for God. There's, there's things to be said about understanding in the mind, but... That is not how God wins us. It's not. It's not. The love of God was poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was sent to us. Then your mind is open to the truth of the Lagos and its brilliance. But we're one with love. Here's the language. He doesn't say, I argued you into this. He says, I'm your father. I'm your friend. I'm your redeemer. I'm your lover. This is all family language. This is all affection language. He has conquered our resistance, right, with his ferocious love. That's what we take into the world. Now, we feel weak in that, but lo, he is with you till the end of the age. You don't go alone. You go with the love of God. So we are empowered by God's love to go and love others. I have a handful of uh, quotes that I've shared a lot of times, and sometimes I think, is it too much? Am I going to share this again? But as I talk to people, I realize, yeah, it's good to share again. So I've decided. This is Morseus Lewis. So 
love propels us forward in, right, toward others, right? God loves us, gives us love for the world, and we move toward them. It also protects us and strengthens us from the rejection that we'll get, that may come, because we don't need their approval, right? Watch this. This is from The Great Divorce, and it's uh, basically, it's a fantasy where a man who was in, he- in hell, basically, and a woman who's in heaven meet, and they used to be married, right? So again, fantasy. It's drawing out some points. So she is glorified, and he is small. She is bursting forth in love, and he is needy. They meet, and she says this to her husband. I am in love. In love. Do you understand? Yes, now I love truly. And he says, you mean you did not love me truly? In the old days, she says, well, only in a poor sort of way. I have asked you to forgive me. There was a little real love in it. But what we call love down there was mostly the craving to be loved. That's just honest wedding vows, right? It's a craving to be loved. In the main, mostly, I loved you for my own sake because I needed you. Who are we? Who are we? And now, he said with a hackneyed gesture of despair, now you need me no more. Of course not. Said the lady, and her smile made me wonder how both of the phantoms, the, stand, the people standing beside, could refrain from crying without joy. Let me read that again. But of course not, said the lady, and her smile made me wonder how both the phantoms could refrain from crying out with joy. <laughs> of course not. What needs could I have? Remember, because she's in love. Of course I don't need you. What needs could I have? Now that I have all. I am full now, not empty. I am in love himself, not lonely. Strong, not weak. You'll be the same. It's mission. Come on. Come on. Come and see. We, <laughs> we shall have no need for one another now, and we can begin to truly love. God's love propels us, strengthens us, protects us, sends us. So, Redeemer, you are sent. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Let's enter a time of response to this. We're going to sing. Worship, singing is also PDA. Right? It's a response to our maker, our husband, response to his words of affection for us. We go right back to him. Right? Don't hold back. So, 
Yes, we'll sing. I've lost track. What, do we, what else do we do? We'll take communion. Um, so hopefully you got a communion cup on the way in. And if you didn't, they're available by the entrance. This is a time to remember. Right? To remember Jesus, the one who made intercession for the transgressors. That's where it happened. And so we remember what he did, and all that comes with that, which includes Isaiah 54 and much, much more. That's just the, the surface, right? So we remember. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, the night before he was crucified, instructing them to remember him. By this, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His body and blood poured out, purchasing all the promises of God for your joy. Let's celebrate. God, thank you. And uh, yeah, show your face. Amen.